today's scripture comes from the book of Genesis and the book of Psalm. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Psalms chapter 139, verses 13 to 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. All right, if we haven't met yet, my name is Aaron. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at Exilic. And about one year ago, I helped start uh, some pickup basketball games uh, for the dads at my daughter's school. Uh, we call it the, the Dad Bot League. And it's, it's one of the highlights of my week. Uh, we play every Sunday night uh, after we, we put the kids down. And um, yeah, I, I, just, I just love playing with these guys every single week. And, and even though we call it the Dad Bot League, uh, to be honest with you, these are not ordinary dads. Two of the dads actually played in the NFL. One was the 11th pick in the draft. One guy actually played professional ball in Europe, used to dunk from the free throw line. One of my other buddies uh, played D1 basketball with Carlos Arroyo and Raja Bell, if those names ring a bell to you. Uh, two or three of them played at least D3 ball. And I think almost all of us at least played high school basketball. So you would think that with this kind of resume, we would be dunking left and right, all the rebounds would be grabbed above the rim, not below the rim. And yet, if you're a fly on the wall and you watch this play, there's a reason why it's called the Dad Bod League. Uh, more people want to sub out than sub in. Everyone's grabbing their backs and their knees. Everyone's groaning and moaning in pain. Um, and you can tell that at one point, everyone used to be good. But when you take a look at everyone now, everyone just looks like a shell of themselves. And as you get older and older, one of the things that happens when it comes to a relationship with your body, one of the things that happens is that there is an increasing and growing frustration that all of us experience when it comes to our bodies. And yet, the Bible would say that the body you have is a gift that God has given to you. Now, our culture does one of two things. Either our culture makes the body everything that your image, the way you look, is the most important thing about you, or our culture does the opposite, and it says that your body is nothing. It has nothing to do with your true authentic self, that your body is nothing more than Tupperware holding the real you inside, but this Tupperware can be discarded because it's not that important. So our culture does, it either makes our body everything or it makes it nothing. But what the Bible would say is that our bodies are a gift that God has given to you. Now that can be a very painful and difficult thing to hear because as I mentioned before, all of us experience a kind of frustration 
when it comes to our bodies. And so there are four things that I want us to consider today as we think about the body. Okay, number one, that it is a gift. Number two, at times, it can feel like an unwanted gift. Number three, it is an unfinished gift. And number four, the irony of this gift is that it's not just yours alone, but it's a gift that is meant to give away to others. Okay, so the first thing that I want us to see is that the, our bodies, your body is actually a gift. And so in Psalm 139, it says this, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Notice here that the psalmist doesn't say that we are mass-produced on an assembly line made with machines. The psalmist doesn't say that we are digital NFTs. What the psalmist says is that your body is knit together by God. Now, I have never knit anything in my life before, but I do know that when you knit something, you do it with your hands, and it takes an element of care when you're knitting something together. Uh, sometimes my daughters will write me cards. My youngest, I, I don't know what she's writing because she doesn't know how to, you know, the alphabet and stuff like that yet. But when they give me cards, objectively speaking, it doesn't look as good as Hallmark card. But because they hand wrote it, and because it's personalized, and because there is great care with this card, it means so much more to me than just a Hallmark card that is mass assembled and produced. And the idea here is that your bodies, when it comes to your bodies, God took great care in personalizing your body, knitting it together and forming you. And while the psalmist portrays God as a knitter, in Genesis, it portrays God as a sculptor. And in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. You may have noticed this, but on Ash Wednesday, there are some traditions where followers of Jesus will get ash and, and, a, and a cross that is on their forehead with the ash. And that cross made of ash is a symbolism. It's a symbol that we are made of dust, and to dust we will return. In Latin, the word dust or of the earth in Latin is the word humus from where we get the word humility. So to truly be humble, it means that you are aware of your origin, that you and I did not step down from heaven. There is only one man who did, Jesus. And yet, when he did step down from heaven, he took on a human body. He took on flesh. And so though we are made of dust, the highest compliment that God could have ever made to us was he himself taking on our flesh. And what that means is that even though we are but dust, because God himself took on a body, it means that our bodies have a sense of dignity, value, and worth. And what we read in Genesis is that we are not just a lump of matter, but God 
breathed into us, into our nostrils, the breath of life and animated us. This, this is the original story of Pinocchio, a wooden puppet who became a human being and was animated. And so God animates us. And what that means is that our, our bodies, again, are a gift that he has given to us. In Psalm 8, 3 to 5, it says, when I consider your heavens, the work, again, of your fingers, not of machines, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. So as magnificent as the Grand Canyon is, the northern lights in Iceland, the glaciers in Antarctica, the beaches in Thailand, as magnificent as all of those things are, there is nothing more beautiful or magnificent than the human body. All of those things pale in comparison because we have been made a little lower than even the angels themselves. And what that means is that our bodies are special. Our bodies are not the result of time and chance. That's secularism. Our bodies were intentionally knitted and formed together and sculpted together by God himself. Now, we are more than just our bodies, but we are not less than our bodies. Our bodies are not all that we are, but they are a part of who we are. It's a gift that God has given to us. But as I mentioned before, because of our relationship with our bodies are not harmonious, and because there's a frustration that we experience with our bodies, this gift can sometimes feel like an unwanted gift. I think all of us have played white elephant before. And sometimes, during white elephant, you get a gift, but it's an unwanted gift. You kind of want the other person's gift. You don't want the gift that you got. And so it is with our bodies. It's a gift, but sometimes it's like an unwanted gift. I want someone else's gift. And so it's like, thanks, God, but really no thanks when it comes to our bodies. A few weeks ago, I mentioned uh, I was at a seminar a few years ago in a room about this size, largely 20s, 30s, and 40s. And the person that was leading the seminar uh, was a, a pastor and author named Sam Alberry, whose works I am borrowing much of uh, today because his works have influenced and shaped this sermon greatly. And one of the things that uh, Sam said was, um, how many of you in this room are taking some kind of medication for your bodies? And I thought, you know, Maybe 25% of us. And to my surprise, almost half the room raised their hand saying that they were taking some kind of medication. And I suspect that if I were to ask us today, how many of you are taking something for your bodies? It wouldn't surprise me if close to half of us in this room raised our hands for, because of something regarding our body. And so the point is that when it comes to a relationship with our bodies, none of us has a straightforward relationship with our bodies. All of us have sort of a broken relationship when it comes to our bodies. All of us know people that have nagging pain with our bodies, have had cancer, 
Alzheimer's, um, dementia. Uh, this spring season, I'm getting rocked by allergies. Like, it took everything to get ready today to stand up here, like Zyrtec, Nasonex, eye drops, like everything. And it's frustrating because my body can't handle all the pollen in the air, right? So there's a frustration that's there. 80% of us, men and women, have body image issues. We don't like the shape of our bodies, so there's a frustration that's there. Our transgender friends feel like they are imprisoned and trapped in their own bodies. And so you can imagine the level of frustration that's there. The point is, none of us has a straightforward relationship with our bodies. All of us have a broken, like unharmonious relationship when it comes to our bodies. But Christianity has an explanation for this broken relationship and frustration that we feel when it comes to our bodies. In Romans 8, it says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly the redemption of our bodies. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia before, but in Lord of the Rings, there's a bad guy named Sauron, and wherever Sauron reigns in Middle-earth, there's a darkness that spreads. In Chronicles of Narnia, there's a wicked witch, and wherever she reigns, it is always cold and wintry. Uh, the beaver said that Narnia is always winter, but it is never Christmas. And so wherever they reign, there's like this darkness and coldness that spreads like the coronavirus. And similarly, what the Bible would say is that sin is like this virus that has spread all over our physical world. There's a darkness, a coldness that has spread all over our physical world so that creation itself is groaning, aching, hurt. But it is not only the physical world that is groaning, but everything physical in this world, including your physical body as well. And so the question then is, what is the solution? What is the answer? What is the hope for all of creation that is groaning, including our physical bodies? Is it working out more, more HIIT workouts, eating more ginger, drinking more kombucha, doing yoga, plastic surgery? altering parts, enhancing parts, adding parts? Is it cryogenically freezing our bodies with the hope that technology will catch up in the next thousand years and resuscitate us back? Like, what is the hope for our physical bodies? And what the gospel would say is that, ironically, the hope for our broken bodies is the broken body of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1, it says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We all know that on Christmas Day, God became flesh. He took on a body. And so again, the highest compliment that God could have ever contributed to the, attributed to the human body is the fact that he himself took on human flesh. So there's a dignity, value, and worth that is there with the human 
uh, body. In no other religion do you see a God condescend themselves to become a human because it's too humiliating. It's too low. It's too humus. But in Christianity, our God lowered himself and took on a body. Now, what's fascinating is the kind of body that God took on because he could have taken on any kind of human body that he wanted. But in Isaiah 53, it says that the kind of body that he took on was not the kind of body we would expect a God to take on. In Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah says that he had no beauty or majesty that we should be attracted to him. Nothing about his appearance that we should be drawn to him. Now, whenever we see a beautiful or attractive-looking people, a person, we can't help but look at them. But what it says in Isaiah 53 is that people turn their faces away from him. So there was something about his appearance that was unattractive. Furthermore, because he really was 100% human, his body was also susceptible to pain, suffering, blood, and even death. In no other religion can that God say, he knows what it's like to be you in your body. But in Christianity, our God knows exactly what it's like to be frustrated with the body, to be tired, exhausted, to feel its finiteness. But not only that, on the cross, his body not only experienced pain, but his body also experienced death. And one of the gospel writers says that from noon to three o'clock, there was a darkness that spread over the land as he was dying. And what's happening there is that the darkness of sin is now being funneled right to him. And Jesus Christ on the cross, through his death, absorbs all the darkness in the land so that the curse of sin would be reversed, so that we would be reconciled to God through his body so that we'd be free from blemish and accusation. And so it is through the broken physical body of Jesus Christ where he experienced the ultimate dysphoria, where he who knew no sin became sin for us as that darkness was now upon him. Now, if I were to stop right there, I would have shared with you the gospel. However, it would be a very truncated view of the gospel because the truth of the matter is Jesus not only became flesh, but to this day, he still remains flesh as well. Jesus, right now, sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, right now, he still has a human body. And what that means then is that our future is not just spiritual, but our future is still very much physical as well. In Luke 24, 39, Luke, uh, Jesus says, after he resurrects, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't abandon his body so his soul could resurrect. That is a very negative view of the body, a very platonic view of the body. But Jesus bodily rose from the dead, which is why Thomas was able to see him and to even 
touch him. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. But Jesus still very much had flesh and bones. His body was a part of his identity. And you know what? Your body is also a part of your identity as well. But the good news is the frustration that we experience with our bodies will not last forever because God renovates our bodies. There's a really scary Greek mythological story about Sybil of Kumai, S-I-B-Y-L. And Sybil of Kumai uh, is this interesting character, and Apollo falls in love with Sybil. And so Apollo says to her, you know, I'll give you one wish. Ask whatever you want, and I'll grant it. And so Sybil grabs two fistfuls of sand, and Sybil says to Apollo, I want every grain of sand to represent one year. And for however many grains of sand I have in my hands, I want to live that long. And so Apollo says, very well. And she ended up picking a thousand grains of sand. And so Apollo lets her live for a thousand years, which is basically like eternal life. The only problem was Sybil asked for everlasting life, but she didn't ask for everlasting youth. And so Sybil just kept getting older and older and, and you can imagine what her body looked like when she was like 700 years old, 800. And all of a sudden, this, this gift of everlasting life became a curse because of her body. And because of that, she just wanted to die. But she couldn't because she had to live for at least 1,000 years. That is not what the Bible promises. The Bible promises that our bodies will experience a kind of renovation. Uh, in Philippians 3, it says that, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. God is the original founder and CEO of Restoration Hardware. He will restore our bodies. It's unfinished right now, but he will renovate our bodies to be like his glorious body. Sam Albury once said that when you become a Christian, you get a new mind and a new heart. So you get new creation software. The problem is that this new creation software is still running on old creation hardware. But one day, our new creation software, our mind and our heart, will also be running on new creation hardware as well one day. Christianity is not just a spiritual religion, but it is very much a physical religion. And God made our bodies, knit our bodies, will renovate our bodies, and restores our bodies. But what he also wants us to know is that our bodies are not just ours alone, but our bodies are a gift that we are called to use to serve others. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, the Apostle Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, our bassist, Sally, 
works at a wonderful organization called Restore that helps rescue women and children from trafficking in our city. Now, if you were to tell a trafficking victim, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, and that your body is no longer yours, that is a horrific thing to say. But it all depends on context and who is saying these things. God is saying, I am the one that knit you and made your body, and one day I will renovate your body. It is a gift that I am giving to you, and it is so valuable, so majestic. I don't want you to just use your body for yourself, but I want you to use your body in service for others and to love other people, to tell a bigger story with your bodies. And so one question that I want to ask all of us today is, how can you use your body to love other people? How can you use your eyes to look around you at all the pain in this world. And not just to see all the people in our city as like obstacles in our way, but to use your eyes to look at others with a sense of compassion. How can you use your lips to say something encouraging to someone that needs to hear a good word? How can you use your thumbs to text something encouraging to someone that really needs it? How can you use your arms to wrap around someone that is badly hurting? How can you use your feet to go to someone that might be depressed and doesn't want to leave their apartment? How can you use your feet to get off the couch and go to that other person? How can you use your ears to stop talking and to listen to others that might be going through some discouragement in their life today? The point is, how can you use your body your tears, your fingers, your hands to cook dinner for someone that might be lonely? How can you use your body in service to God and for others? You know, one thing that I like to do in worship is I like to raise my hands because oftentimes my heart is so cold and my hands can actually guide my heart, lead my heart in worship because I want to engage God with all of who I am, not just my intellect or my feelings, but even my body. And by the way, you have permission to raise your hands to God as well. But we bring all of ourselves in worship to God. Now, there's a part of you that might be thinking, you have no idea how exhausted I am. Like, I am tired. Okay, and I need to practice self-care, and I get that. Uh, the heart is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I understand that. But if there's one thing that I want you to have a perspective on, it's this. Oftentimes, especially the older you get, you think that your best physical days are in the past, when you're a teenager or in your young 20s. So you think your best physical moments are in your past. But in Christianity, your best physical moments are not in your past. They're actually in your future. Right now, we experience a frustration with our bodies, but knowing that a glorious, our best physical days await us, we should use our bodies, spend our bodies in service to God and to others. This is why the Apostle Paul actually says, I beat my body and make it my slave so that I can preach the gospel everywhere. So with this brief time that you've been given, 
How can you spend your bodies, use your bodies to give your 110%, not just for yourself, but for others as well that need your body? This is what it means to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is someone that is crucified, is killed. And yet Paul calls us to be a living sacrifice. That means every day we deny ourselves and even our bodies at times. We live sacrificially for the sake of others. What can you do to use your bodies the way that Jesus did when he gave up his body in sacrifice for us? How can you do the same with your bodies? And let me just say that our bodies are not just biological, but they are very much theological. Our bodies tell a story. The secular story is that you're a lump of matter and one day you will decompose. But in Christianity, we are more than a lump of matter. We are made in the image of God that are knit together by God. And one day we might decompose, but guess what? We will one day be recomposed as well. Our bodies are telling a story to the world just as Jesus' resurrected body is telling a story to the world as well. The best version of you is yet to come. And you know what? The first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven, I'm going to dunk. Never dunked before in my life. But when I get that glorious new body, I can't wait. But in the meantime, I'm going to use my body to give everything I have with my body in service to God and to our neighbors. How can you use your body today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the body. And oftentimes it can feel like a love-hate relationship that we have with our physical bodies. There's a frustration that all of us experience with our bodies, particularly when it doesn't feel like it's exactly cooperating with us. And yet we know that our bodies are intricately tied to our identity, that it is not only our psychology that matters, but our biology that matters because our bodies are a gift. And so it is far more than just a lump of matter, but you knit us and sculpted and fashioned us together. And so help us to use the body that you've given us, not just to serve ourselves, but to really give of our bodies as a living sacrifice to serve other people as well, just as your son did for us. In your name I pray, amen.